I mean, that's, that's the other thing of being at sea is because it costs so much, like everybody's trying to maximize sort of what you can do. And it means if we get to a place at three in the morning, you're getting up at three in the morning and you're collecting water yeah. and filtering it, which <laughs> is rough, but <laughs> you, you get it done. Hi, I'm Karina Giesbrecht. Um, I study dive bombs uh, up in the Arctic. I'm a biological oceanographer. I also sometimes refer to myself as a biogeochemist. <laughs> Welcome back to episode five of Below the Tide. My name is Liz and I am your host. Today I am sitting down again with Dr. Karina Giesbrecht and we are talking about her research up in the Arctic. If you haven't listened to episode four, I would totally recommend checking that out. It'll give you a good basis of what her science is and what she studies. We are going to be talking about doing research up in the Arctic today and what it's like to do research off of a research vessel. So as with all of my episodes, I would recommend checking out my Instagram page at Below the Tide Podcast, where you'll have all of the resources for this episode. And I hope you enjoy. I did some work like in between my master's and my PhD. I went out to the Labrador Sea um, to do, they also have like a long standing time series that they do that goes from like Newfoundland across to Greenland. Mm -hmm. um, so I went up there and got to do sampling, um, which was really cool. That's so like really got cool. to see Greenland yeah. and all the icebergs and everything. Yeah. So I was like, ooh, this is neat. <laughs> um, I called my family, it was like, I can't even remember what time in the morning for them, but I was like, oh, I just wanted to like say hi from Greenland. <laughs> uh, so, cause we had cell service. Cause like yeah. Greenland has great cell service. Cause they don't have, like that's how they like, I guess have their communications there is through right. cellular, not like landlines oh, yeah. or anything. So um, that, that was cool. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I did some more work just around Vancouver Island, um, again, as a technician, sort of helping doing a lot of sampling there. And that was like intense because the stations come one after another and they're very shallow. And so you're just like working, working, working. Mm -hmm. um, but like the scenery is stunning because right. it's Vancouver Island and yeah. that's super cool. Um, and it was, it was really cute and kind of sad at one point because as we got up towards the north of the island, there's all these um, storm petrels that like they see the lights on the ship and they fly to the ship and then they end up getting disoriented and like falling down on deck. And so you just like hold them for a bit until oh, they no. like figure things out and uh, fly off again. So like you go out on deck and there just be these little birds and they're like, they're really tiny and fluffy and have like, you know, kind of like the webbed like duck feet. Yeah. And they're so sweet. Oh, oh my <laughs> was, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then I did a bunch of work um, up in the Arctic. So yeah. that like very cool experiences, some uh, not not so cool. Um, the, the first time I went up to the Arctic was on the Laurier, leaving from here in Victoria, going up through the Bering Strait um, and then getting off in Barrow, Alaska and then flying home. And that was that was amazing. Like we saw walruses and polar bears and like just these like huge amounts of birds because it's it's the like prime feeding time when we were up there in July um, for all these animals so mm -hmm. that's like super cool and then like hitting the ice and having to break the ice and yeah that was a lot of fun and then that same year about a month later I went back east um, 
or was with a group back east and I, I flew up to Resolute um, up in like the Northwest Passage to join okay. one of the other ships up there and we were going to go into the Beaufort Sea and do sampling and this was um, in part to help out the lady that I worked with at the Institute of Ocean Sciences, mm -hmm. um, Lisa Miller, to do sampling there. So it was like an opportunity to do that and then I was also able to like do some of my own sampling for my PhD. So it kind of win-win for me because yeah. it's hard it can be hard to get on those cruises to like mm -hmm. do that sampling because working in the Arctic is just challenging yeah. all the time. Um, but that cruise was actually um, where a helicopter crashed and this was back in 2013. So the captain, the pilot and one of the scientists died. Um, wow. And it was 10 days into the cruise mm -hmm. um, and that ship because it's out of Quebec, everybody spoke French, like mm -hmm. all the crew and a lot of the science crew also spoke French. And mm -hmm. like, I have grade school French. And so like, I was doing my best to like communicate with people, but I remember just the like stress of not knowing what was going on because like we knew they had gone out to sort of take a look at the ice conditions. Um, and then all of a sudden, like all these voices are going back and forth on the like PA system on the ship and the ship like turns around and just starts going so fast yeah and it's like what is going on yeah um, yeah and then it turned out they had lost communication with the helicopter and then we ended up get there getting there and they had crashed um, and they they passed away because yeah. you know it took us I think 15 minutes to get back there mm -hmm. um, and it was it was too late the yeah. water was too cold and uh, oh my god so we we picked them up and, and brought them back to Resolute and then we were just stuck on the ship for 10 days right? Um, because they didn't really know what to do with the rest of us and yeah. there was no captain. Oh. Um, so they had to bring in a new captain. Um, they ended up taking us sort of on like a, a tour of some of the like sites up yeah. there. So like we got to go see um, Beachy Island, which is where the Franklin expedition spent their first winter. Okay. Um, and we got like special approval from the like federal government to mm -hmm. be able to get off the ship and like go and see it oh, um, nice. so like th yeah. that was really cool but that was that was definitely um, hard yeah to to experience that For and sure. then um, something that stays with you yeah mm -hmm. yeah definitely and uh, and I, I continue to do Arctic field work mm -hmm. and then I actually um, I was part of a, a the Canadian Arctic geotraces program um, which was in 2015 and uh, I had to go back on that ship again and I hadn't been on it since mm -hmm. the last time so that that was hard yeah to to do that but I'm glad I did because now I have much fonder memories mm -hmm. of being on that ship yeah um but yeah sure. it uh it kind of like I think it can be easy as an oceanographer if all things go well to be like oh yeah field work no big deal like out on the ocean this is great mm -hmm. but like the reality is there can be these like horribly dangerous things and tragic yeah. things that can happen. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> intense. Yeah, for sure. And like, what does kind of getting ready to go to the Arctic on these cruises look like? Oof, a lot of packing. Yeah. Oh my God. The like cruise. what, what does your packing look like? What does funding have to look like? Yeah. So like, there's extra funding available from the government for working up in the north because they recognize that it's just more expensive right. to do things up there. I was lucky in some ways that a lot of the Arctic field work I did, um, the ship was based out of here in Victoria. So like I had to pack, but I just had to bring things like 
to Sydney, not like ship them across the country. Yeah. Um, but for those cruises that I was doing with the ship back east, we did have to ship them across the country. So you had to have everything ready like at least a month beforehand because then you would ship it on a truck back east and hope that it all got loaded properly. And like when you're packing, you're on a ship. There's no store you can go to yeah. to like replenish your supplies. So like my my standard was to pack double of what I thought I needed plus plus at least like one more or mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Like I just packed multiples and multiples of everything. At the same time, you know, things go wrong when you're in the field or you forget things mm -hmm. or, you know, something will break, Yeah, whatever. And uh, you so figure it out. all of your like bottles and- All your bottles, all of your like consumables. So like tubes, filters, um, chemicals, everything. Yeah. Um, like any isotopes, like solutions that you're using, that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. If you're using radioisotopes, that's a whole other. Yeah. So like I was using a, a radioisotope that not many people are familiar with. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely challenging at the beginning that, you know, people hear radioactivity and kind of freak out a bit. Yeah. Understandably. Mm -hmm. um, and, but like the, the isotope I was working with and the, the radioactive, like the activity levels I was working at were so low that it was practically like not regulated, but it's okay. still radioactive. So <laughs> I used to tell people like, okay, my samples are the equivalent of like 20 bananas because mm -hmm. the phosphorus in bananas, like some of it's radioactive. So yeah. it's it's not great, but it's not bad. Like, yeah. um, so that was that was a, a challenge there too, to like organizing the, the dangerous goods and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. but. Yeah, wow. it's just like boxes and boxes and lists and like yeah. you usually want to make sure that you like have listed on all your boxes what's what because somebody else might be packing the ship for you and like you want to make sure you know what's where right. and, and all that stuff and like sending manifests and all, all that. A lot of logistics. Yeah. And um, how much does it usually cost for like a research boat to go out? I think it's... Or it, de it, depend it depends on the ship. Mm -hmm. um, I remember being told when I was out on the Tully, which is the ship that would go um, to do the Lime P cruises, it was like $25,000 a day to run the ship. Mm -hmm. um, but that was like 15 years ago, yeah. 10 years ago. Um, I think it was over a million dollars for the um, Geotraces cruise that I was on, mm -hmm. like 1.4 million um, was the funding to, to have the ship go out and support, I think it was about 20 scientists. Wow. Um, plus it was about 40 crew, I think that mm -hmm. were on there. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, they're feeding us too, yeah, right? Like exactly. It's, it's so we don't have to deal with the food or anything mm -hmm. like that. Like that's all dealt with by the ship, um, which is actually really nice because yeah. like, you have your like set meal times and all that stuff but somebody else is cooking for you mm -hmm. and like there's always food available and yeah. it's funny when you're at sea that all of a sudden all the conversations turn to like did you see what's on the menu for dinner like what are you gonna have like are you gonna have the chicken i don't know i might have the fish <laughs> and then like as the cruise goes on longer it's like they're offering salad like we've been on the ship for how long now like where are they getting this lettuce from like i i don't know about that or like yeah, when we were on when I was on the Geotraces cruise, it was seven weeks that we were at sea, which is the longest I've ever been at sea. Mm -hmm. um, before that, it had been about three weeks, and uh, <laughs> the food quality decreased as the I can imagine. time went on. Like I remember, we would get asparagus with dinner, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah, the asparagus is so good." And then like 
one day it switched from like fresh asparagus to canned asparagus and we were like oh god <laughs> <laughs> um which you know the the cooks on board are doing their best oh yeah it's yeah. like a very extreme situation to yeah. be cooking food in. Yeah, and for that many people, mm-hmm. and uh, and they all like they always had multiple choices for pretty much every meal, mm-hmm. like and like big plates and stuff. I think also like they're feeding the coast guard and the the people on the ship are working so hard all the time. Oh um, yeah, because it's just, not like you've got all these scientists, but then you need people to actually run the ship. Yeah, exactly. And to keep you all alive. Yeah, so you've got like the deck crew, you've got the engineers, you've got, and like the deck crew are the ones who are usually running the equipment for mm-hmm. us. So like when we do our sampling, um, at least for the type of stuff I do when we're collecting water samples, like we have this giant rosette, we call it, that has all of these like special bottles, the Niskin bottles um, that we can like we're able to close remotely at certain depths so we mm-hmm. can like put it to a certain depth in the water and be like okay I want to know what's going on 300 meters below the surface so we're going to close this bottle mm-hmm. and bring it back up and then we can take samples from it right um, but they're the ones running like the winch that actually puts this thing down in the water and yeah. like brings it back up and then it's all of us scientists like waiting to just like get in and get our water um, yeah and it can definitely get rowdy around the rosette depending on the group that's there mm-hmm. um, so <laughs> But it's it's fun. Like yeah. it's you become very much like a little family because mm-hmm. you just spend all your time with these people. And I mean, that's that's the other thing of being at sea is because it costs so much. Like everybody's trying to maximize sort of what you can do, and it means if we get to a place at three in the morning, you're getting up at three in the morning and you're collecting water yeah. and filtering it, which <laughs> is rough, but <laughs> you you get it done. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's interesting, like, some of the cruises I was on, the, the group of people I was with, like, we would just get the giggles because we were exhausted. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's definitely different ways people react, but I always like those ones where, like, we're just laughing. It's like, what is going on? <laughs> Why are we here? Yeah, <laughs> and then it, it almost feels like you start to go a little bit, like, crazy, like we were playing pranks on our chief scientist. Uh, <laughs> On that, that was one of the last cruises I was on for my PhD. Um, the chief scientist, uh, he's a physical oceanographer. He's throwing Argo floats over the side, which are these like autonomous floats that can measure all sorts of properties in the water column. Mm-hmm. And there's thousands of them in the ocean. And they um, just kind of do it themselves. They do it themselves and they like come, so they can like go down, they can adjust their buoyancy and like measure things as they're like going down and coming back up. And then they like pop up outside of the water and like send their data up to satellites. And then it comes back to, it's amazing. It's, it's like a little robot. Yeah, super, super cool. Wow. Um, and you just huck them over the side. And so I, I honestly don't know how we came up with it, but we, we started leaving him notes from the Argo float being like, why did you abandon me? <laughs> and like, it just got more and more elaborate that like we were leaving like postcards. And so <laughs> we had like laminated a postcard from the Argo float from, I can't even remember where we said it was from. And that cruise was, um, it was the Distributed Biological Observatory was the program that it was a part of. So we were looking at like all levels of the food chain. So mm-hmm. like from the phytoplankton, um, you know, like pelagic stuff up to the like charismatic megafauna. So the whales and the and the polar bears yeah. and the walruses and then also down in the benthos because where we were working in the um, Bering and Chukchi seas is quite shallow and there's a lot of coupling between like the water column and what's happening at the seabed. 
So people working with mud, so they would be like pulling up mud samples all the time, long story short. So <laughs> we convinced the scientists that were working with the mud, like, can you just like hide this in your mud sample? And then we'll call the chief scientist over the PA to be like, something's here that you need to see. Like, we're really worried. <laughs> he came down and we're like, here you go. And he was just like, you guys, enough. <laughs> Those abandoned like, Argo floats, they yeah, just couldn't do it. I know. <laughs> like, why did you leave me? <laughs> Oh but it, like yeah it's it was so much fun yeah and like it's, i have such fond memories of that yeah and there was y you can have a lot of fun at sea oh definitely um, yeah so. thanks so much for listening everyone my name is liz and next week's episode will be the last episode with karina it'll be a really great one you can check out my instagram page at below the tide podcast for updates on that episode. But other than that, I hope you have a great rest of your day.